Do you remember your first job? Mine was, I was 14 years old. Uh, my dad got laid off from uh, General Motors and he got a job at a sporting goods store. And he came home and said, yeah, Chris, they, he said, they are hiring at the uh, batting cages uh, at the sporting goods store. And I think it'd be good if you came to work with me and worked down at the batting cages. And, and I said, I don't want to. And he said... <laughs> Too bad you're going to anyways because you need a job. And so I uh, went with my dad, uh, you know, each day to the sporting goods store, uh, went down to the batting cages and, and uh, to be honest with you, sat there for many hours and wait, uh, waiting for people to show up, especially if it wasn't a, the greatest day in the world. People uh, didn't typically go to the batting cages. And so uh, I would sit there and, um, you know, in my time, I would, you know, there was vending machines, so I would eat candy bars and drink pop and and uh, on the store's dime, by the way, and uh, I don't, that wasn't a good idea at that time, but, uh, but I also, you know, take swings, you know, I'd take some swings, you know, baseball swings and things, things like that, of that nature, but it, it never failed. It seemed like, uh, you know, about five minutes before we were getting ready to close, somebody would show up. You ever have a job like that? Like, you're getting ready to lock the doors, you know, and you're getting ready to go home for the day, and somebody would show up, and so, um, and in these batting cages, they were old batting cages didn't work very well you know the 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 ball feeder wouldn't feed into the you know into the thing that shot the you know the pitch out and so i would you would have to go down and you would have to fill up you know uh, basically uh you know a, a bin or a basket full of softballs or baseballs and drop them into the bin so that it would shoot the ball out of the ball shooter. I don't know what they're called. And so, um, and so I would do that. And so sure enough, you know, five minutes before we're getting ready to close, people would show up and they would put like, you know, $20, wanting $20 worth of pitches, you know, which was like a lot of pitches, you know. And I'm like, oh man, you know. So, the, so sure enough, you know, they would swing and then I would have to, it wouldn't kick out the ball anymore. So I'd have to go down, you know. And, and, and one time my, my parents were waiting to, you know, take me home. And it was now, you know, it's now 20 minutes after the time we we're supposed to close. And I'm down there where the machines are that feed the ball. And it's really loud down there. There's a conveyor belt that's supposed to pick up the ball and dump them into the bins. It's really loud down there. And I'm getting frustrated because they're still here. You know, the, the customers are still here. And so I'm like, I'm like, get, I'm, I'm like saying out loud, I'm now so frustrated. I'm like saying out loud, get out of here, like leave. And I'm thinking that they don't hear me because I can't hear anything. So I'm thinking they can't hear anything. And next thing I know, I see them, you know, some angry guy grab his kid and leave, you know, and, and my dad comes up to me and says, you know, they heard you yelling at them to get out of here and to leave. And I felt terrible. And my boss, you know, called me in and said, you can't ever do that again, you know, like, you know, all this stuff. So this was my first job experience. I remember coming home going, I don't think I'm really cut out for work, you know. I just don't think that I'm cut out for it. I don't know if that's how you still feel today. You're like, I just don't know if I'm cut out for this. But the reality is, is that we have to do it, right? That's the reality. The reality is that we all have to work, you know, and, and that's just how life is. It's, it's what, you know, and, and some of you may be in a position where you're like, you know, you just, it's a, it's a, it's a job, you know, it's a, it's a, you're just trying to get by and, you know, you're just trying to pay the bills and you're just trying to put food on the table and clothes on backs 
you know, that's just what it is for you. Others, maybe it's a passion, maybe it's a, something that you love to do, it's something that you enjoy doing, you know, it's, it, you get excited about waking up, you know, in the morning and going to your place of work, and it's because you're, you know, you're enthused about it, you're passionate about it, and wherever you're at, here's the thing. What, when the, what the Bible teaches or what the New Testament teaches about work is an interesting point of view. It's an interesting perspective because here's oftentimes what we think about when we think about work. We think about where we work and how much we get. Isn't that what we typically think about? Where we work and how much we get. But the, but the scriptures, especially in the, in the New Testament, it gives us a different focus. There's sort of this paradigm shift of work. And here's what you also need to know, and this is something that I you know, forgot about or didn't realize. I always assumed that work was a result of the, of the sin that came into the world, that, that work was the result of you know, the fall of, of you know, mankind where sin into the, came into the world. But that's not, even the, that's not even true. That work was established even at the time when Adam and Eve were created, you know, and they were, they were given a responsibility to oversee the garden. That work was established then, even when everything was all right in the world, even before sin came into the world, work existed. Work was happening it was a part of, and it is a part of God. It is a part of the DNA, the, the handprint of God in our life. Work is, is a part of you know, what God has established in, even in the perfect creation. And so when God is, gives us the idea or helps us understand what work is, he says, I, I want you to think of, in, of it in something in different terms. I want you to think of work not about where you work or how much you get, but he says, I want you to think about work in these terms. I want you to think about you being somebody, whether you're under somebody's authority or that you're somebody that is in authority. That, that falls for everybody here. Whether you're under somebody's authority or whether you're somebody in authority, he says, this is, what I, this is the way that I want you to think. Not about where and how much. He says, I want you to think about who you are. This is so important. This is so important. I want you to think about who you are with wherever you're at. I want you to think about who you are with wherever you're at. Whether you're at a place where you're just, it's a job that you're just trying to get by. You know, it's just a position. Or whether you're in a job that you love. He says what's more important than, than where and how much is who you are with wherever you're at. Whatever you're doing. Whatever it is. And so the Apostle Paul, he, he's describing, we've been going through, you know, different, you know, New Testament concepts and, and, and underneath the family dynamic. And in, in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about, you know, some of the family dynamic. So he includes this within a family dynamic. He includes this with, with you know, what we do with the one commandment that we've been talking about. Remember the one commandment, love one another as Jesus has loved us. That's the one commandment that Jesus gave. And that all of the New Testament, all of those who are under the new covenant, all of them, everything that is said in the New Testament, is application for that one commandment. That everything that is talked about when it, when, it come, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to parenting, and when it comes to working a job, all of it is application under that one command that you love one another as Jesus in the same way that Jesus loved you. And so work falls underneath that. Works, and here's what the Apostle Paul said in, in Colossians 3. 
He says, whatever you do, okay? So here it's not like, uh, if you, whatever you love to do or whatever you're passionate about or whatever you, know, you enjoy and you can't wait to wake up in the morning and get to. He, no, no, no. He, he says, whatever you do. And, and, and it's not really just about like, you know, working for, you know, in, in a ministry or working at a church or, you know, being involved in that. It's just, he says, whatever you do, do your work heartily. Do your work heartily. In other words, he says, I want you to work at, with all of your heart. I want you that whatever it is that you do, whether you, I don't know, work at McDonald's or work at Ford Motor Company or whatever it is that you do it. He says, I, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is, is that whatever you do, that you work with all of your heart. And then you could question the Apostle Paul back and say, well, what if my boss, what if my you know, co-workers, what if they're not working with all of their heart? He would say, that's not the point. The point is, is that you, as a follower of Jesus, you, underneath the new covenant promises, you who love one another as Jesus loved us, he says, I want you to work your job, whatever that job is, I want you to work your job with all of your heart. I want you to work your job with all your heart. Because, why? Because it's more important that you think in terms of work. He says it's more important that you think in terms of who you are and how much you, know, how, how much you contribute to your workplace. It's more important that you set a precedent or, or a standard of integrity. Why? Because you're a child of God. Why? Because you're a son and daughter of God. Why? Because you love people regardless of who they are, regardless of how hard they work, and regardless of how they treat you, that you love people in the same way that Jesus loved you. And that is somebody that works their job, whatever job that you have, and I thought about having you all at the same time shout out what you do, but it doesn't matter. You know what you do. He says, whatever you do, you do it with all of your heart. He says, look what he says, as for the Lord rather than for men. He says, this is the mindset that I want you to think about. He says, I want you to think about your boss. And you're like, oh, whatever comes to mind when you think about somebody that's over, over you. What, what comes to mind when you have an authority? Maybe that's a, you know, that's a, a boss in a corporation. Maybe it's a, a teacher in a classroom. He says, but when you think about somebody in authority, he says, I want you to think about this first. He says, yeah, you're working for an organization, or you're working for a corporation, or you're working for a company, or you're working for a business, whatever it is that you're working for. But he says, I want you to understand something. First and foremost, your boss is the Lord. I'm, you need to know this. Here's what, what's important. He says, you need to know this, that all of us, Paul would say, all of us are held accountable. All of us are going to have to stand before the Lord one day. And all of us are going to have to be held accountable for not just how we parent, for not just how we act, you know, in public, not just for how we raise our kids or, or, or go about our marriages or any relationship. He says, you're going to be held accountable to the one boss who is in charge over all things, you're going to be held accountable for him based on the work that you do. You're going to be held accountable. And I want you to think in terms of that he is 
your boss. And whatever it is that you do, you're not working for such and such place. You are. But in reality, in the grand scheme of things, in the spiritual realm of things, you're working for the Lord. And that should change our approach. That should change our thought process when whatever it is that we do, wherever it is that we walk into in the morning. That should change the way that we go about it. He says, verse 24. No, verse 24. There it is. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. So here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Here's what we know. There is an earthly compensation, right? You work a job, you get compensated. True? Right. Here's what he's saying. There's also an eternal compensation. That there is an earthly compensation, but there's also an eternal compensation. Now, Michelle, go back to that verse for me, would you? He said, listen, here's what you need to know. From knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. All under, under the context, right, of, of work. And whatever you do, you're working for the Lord, right? He says, knowing that, you, just as you receive an earthly compensation, just as you receive a paycheck, he says, there is a reward waiting for those who understand what it looks like to work for the Lord. He's saying that there is a reward of an inheritance that is, that is coming to each and every single one of you. And here's what he wants you to know. He wants you to know that each job or opportunity or experience prepares you for another. He wants you to know that. For example, um, just as just a silly example, but I told you about my first job working at the batting cages, right? And I would spend hours and hours and hours in a batting cage hitting baseballs. So you know what that made me pretty good at? Hitting a baseball. I know, I just blew your mind. As a result of that, as a result of that, I was a good, decent baseball player. So I was given an opportunity, so it worked out, where the college that I was going to go to, they were going to give me money not just to play basketball, but they were going to also give me money to play baseball. And you know why I was given that opportunity? Because when I was 14 years old, when I had downtime, I got into the batting cages and took some swings. Here's what he, here's what he wants you to know. Here's what he wants you to know. And I could even take it a step further. This is going to weird you out. But the college that I went to happened to be a Bible college, but I didn't choose that Bible college because I, was, I loved the Bible. I just chose the Bible college because they let me play basketball and baseball. That was it. While I was there, I met some basketball and baseball players who were godly Christian you know, young men who, who, who taught me or who encouraged me to continue in my faith and to live for the Lord as a result of me pursuing God, as a result of those teammates, I got a job. I, just, I felt like God was calling me to ministry. Don't ask me how I can explain all that to you. I can't. But I felt like God was calling me to ministry. And I talked to my pastor. So I think my God's calling me to ministry because I, I've been talking to some baseball and basketball players. And he said, you know what? As a matter of fact, I got an internship for you. You should start at my church. I started as an internship from a church. And I haven't turned back since. I'm here today because at 14 years old, I had time to hit a baseball. Yeah. That was sad, wasn't it? But here's what you want to know. 
Here's what, he, here's, what, here's what he wants you to know. He wants you to know that the work that you do here, that the work that you do here is connected. It's connected. And you know this. You know that a job that you've had, you know that a career that you've chosen and a, or a position that you've had and that experience has prepared you, that experience has brought you to a place maybe where you're at now or a place where you ultimately want to be. But you can know and you know that all of that is tied together. All of that is tied to, together into ultimately where God is, is leading you. And here's what you need to understand. When he talks about the inheritance, he's talking about that what you do now at your job, it affects and it's going to carry over into a job that you're going to have in eternity. He is, and, and he is, and, and this is, this is what, what the Apostle Paul is telling us. He is watching how you carry yourself, how hard you work, what kind of integrity that you have into your job. Because why? Because that is going to factor into eternity, which, by the way, isn't going to be about us, you know, laying on clouds and playing the harp you know, or eating a bunch of fruit. No, you're, you and I are going to be given a job. Why? Because jobs were, were made and established long before sin came. That work is a part of the perfect creation. And when God comes back and makes everything right again, what you do now matters for what you're going to do in eternity. You see, you're looking for a fair wage, but God is looking for a faithful worker. What you're thinking of is in terms of where and how much, but what God is looking at, what God is looking at, at your job, at your job, he's looking at somebody who is a faithful worker. He's, that's what he's telling us. And then he ends with verse 24 saying this. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. No, I work for, you know, so-and-so. I work for the, no, 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 no. Christian, listen, listen. New covenant, Christian, listen. You work, you serve the Lord. And when you're looking for a better opportunity, when you're looking for more wage, listen, and, and if you're doing that, that's, Great, I hope you can, you can get that. Listen, listen, that's great. But what, what God is looking at, what God is looking at is that he's looking for someone who's faithful. That's what he's looking at. Thought number two, Jesus works through your work. Jesus works through your work. So point number one, I don't know if we, we showed that to you, I didn't. To, but, but worship, worship, we should, we should think about work as worship. We should think about worship Jesus through your work. Yep, that was point number one that we just talked about. All right, point number two. Point number two is this, that, that, that Jesus or God works through your work, that he works through your work. Here, here's what it says in Titus. Titus, okay? Now, this is, this is where sometimes we get like caught up. Listen, He's, he tells Titus, urge bond slaves. All right, now, we think about this and we think, this, no, this is, we're, we're comparing this to work. 
we understand, and, and the Apostle Paul understood, that this was something that God didn't condone, God didn't want. Of course, God did not want people to be in slavery. God did not want anyone to be in oppression under, under any circumstances. But when we look at the, this concept, when we look at the concept of work, Paul would also put these, these things together. And here's what he said. Now, now listen, listen. If it, if it was me writing this letter <clears throat> to Titus, I would say, like, urge bond slaves to run. <laughs> like, urge bond slaves to get out of there. God doesn't want you to be, you know, under, under anybody's oppression. Like, get out of there. That, that's not, listen, that's not what Paul said. Look what, look what he said. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything. Now, wait a minute, Paul. Why wouldn't he write, urge bond slaves, get out, get out, get out, and then say to masters, and masters, you have, what are you doing holding people, you know, listen, by the way, slavery isn't like the slavery that we think about around Civil War time. It wasn't that kind of slavery. As a matter of fact, people would actually sell themselves into slavery they, because they would, they would be given like a roof over their head and food on the table. The, that the slaves were treated like the oldest son in the household. The slaves were treated in that way. So it, I know when we think about slavery, we think of in terms of you know, what, what, we, what we recognize it in, our, in our history books, but that's not necessarily the way that it was. But it still wasn't something that God wanted, but that's not the point. God says, listen, I know that you're a slave, or I know that you're a master, a slave owner, but here's, what I, here's the way I want you to act. Here's the way I want you to act. I want you to be subject and if you were here with us a couple weeks ago, we know what that word means. That word means to be submissive. To be submissive. In other words, you know what Paul was saying to Titus to tell the slaves? Not to run, but he was telling them to be the best slave you can be. Like to be submissive to your own masters. And here's, here's the principle for all of us. You fall somewhere in between being a master and being a slave, right? You don't, nobody owns you, you know, but and you don't own anybody. That's not, that's not the mentality. But listen, you and I, when it comes to an employee or an employer, we fall, we fall somewhere, you know, on the, on the other side. The bookends of this is a master and a slave. And Paul is saying to tell them to be submissive, to be submissive. So in other words, he could say, urge employees to be submissive or subject to their own employers and everything. So he says, I want you to, this is the, what I want you to do. And then he tells them this. He tells them this. To be well-pleasing, to be well-pleasing. Now, how, who are we being well-pleasing to? Are you supposed to be well-pleasing to your boss? Sure, sure. But he's not talking about that. You know what he's saying? He's saying you need to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Because remember, who's your boss? God is your boss. So when, you're, when you be well-pleasing to the Lord, so how do we be well-pleasing? By not being argumentative. So when your boss comes up to you at, your, at work and wants you to, you know, go there or do this or be on this team or, you know, you know work on this project, you're not going to be argumentative. You're not going to, at least you shouldn't, you're not, you're not going to push back. You're not going to get into a debate. 
You're not going to try to, you know, outsmart or outwit your, your boss because you th- think that you're smarter than them and know more than them and know what's best for, for that company. That's what you're not going to do. That's what he says. He says, you want to be well-pleasing, don't be argumentative. Don't be argumentative. Not pilfering. So here's a, another example that he gives. Not, in other words, don't steal from your company. Uh, there's, um, sh- uh, one, uh, Kim was sharing with me this week about uh, her husband, George, who works at Ford Motor Company, like a Fortune 500 company, $150 billion company. And you know what they have? They have a cabinet at their workplace that they have locked so that nobody steals all of the office supplies. I mean, $150 billion company, they have a cabinet that they keep locked so that nobody uses too many post-it notes. And they literally ration out post-it notes to people at the office and said, this is all you get. This is all you get. And you know that companies like this, they build into their budget money so that people, because they know that people are going to pilfer money from them. They know that people are going to steal from them and it's going to cost them more. And so they build it into their budget just planning for theft. This is, this is real. You think that that happens at Fortune 500 company. This happens here at this church. We had to buy shorter um, plug uh, chargers for our iPads when we have the check-in because our longer uh, you know, charger cords kept coming up missing. So we had to buy shorter ones so that you're not interested in a longer, uh, shorter one. I'm not pointing any fingers, but give them back. <laughs> we have to have every door locked around around here because every, every time we turn around, there's something missing. Like we got to lock up things just to make sure that nothing walks out of here. By the way, Juan had these awesome Beats headphones that are gone. Give them back to him. He was, he was like, he was uncomfortable when I was telling him about this. I'm like, I'm just going to lay it out there. You think it happens in any company, it happens here in this church. Listen, we will give you, if you like, if you come up to me and say, I need a charger, Pastor Chris, I'll be like, here, I'll, I'll buy you one. Don't steal, quit pilfering. You're like, this is now awkward. I didn't think it was going to be this awkward. <laughs> Juan knew it. He's like, this is going to be awkward. <laughs> but this is, he, he says, listen, this is how this works. He says, somebody that is, you know, under, understands authority and is under authority, they're well-pleasing. And somebody that's well-pleasing, they don't argue, they don't argue, they just do it. They don't push back, they just get to the task. They don't try to debate with the person in authority, they just do their job whether they like that job or not that's not the point God says I'm looking for somebody who's faithful because that factors that carries into eternity and somebody that is well pleasing they don't argue and somebody that is well pleasing they don't steal either and he goes on and says this he says to be well pleasing and not argumentative not pilfering but showing all good faith just you know being diligent Showing good faith, being, having integrity, so that they will adorn, look what he says, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. You know what this does? You know what this does? When you 
are you know, well-pleasing, when you're showing good faith, you know what this does? This makes God's church more attractive. That's what the word adorn, the word adorn is where we get our word cosmetics. That's where we get it from. I'm not going to go into the cosmetics thing because that's just going to get me in trouble probably. But, but this is where we get the word from, cosmetics. It just, it, it just helps the doctrine of God, our Savior in every respect. That's what he's saying. And it's within the context of our work integrity. You see, what makes the church attractive is not its strategy or its programs. What makes the church attractive is not its strategy and programs. Here's what makes the church attractive. What makes the church attractive is the submissive, respectful, honest, and hardworking person. I don't know if you know this or not, but church isn't about 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning at 309 Market Street. The church is more about what you do Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. That's what the church, the church is when, when we get this and we start to apply this. Because ultimately, us applying this is ultimately loving our boss, loving our coworkers, loving our classmates, loving our colleagues in the same way that Jesus loved us. And we're going to be well-pleasing and we're going to have good faith and we, because we know that we are working for the Lord. And that's what makes the church more attractive. Someone who walks into their place of work and is submissive, is respectful, and is honest, and is hardworking. That's what makes the church attractive. Then look what he says. Why is that important? He says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. That's really what it's about, isn't it? Isn't it about us going out and being the light of the world? It's about us going out to our jobs, where we work, wherever we work, whether it's a, just somewhere to get by or whether it's something that you're passionate about. It's about you and I going out and just showing the grace of God. Why? Because the people that you work with, your boss, your colleagues, the people that you go to school with, by the way, the grace of God has appeared to them too. And what God wants is that God wants none, none to perish, but for all to, be, to come into repentance. That's what God wants. And that when you go to your workplace where you spend, I don't know, according to the internet, 13, you know, point two years of your life at work. So when you go to your work, you demonstrate the grace of God. By the way that you're submissive, by the way that you're honest, by the way that you're hardworking. Because the grace of God, the undeserved, unmerited favor of God is wanting to bring salvation to all people. Your work ethic makes your witness effective. Your work ethic makes your witness effective. That's the way that we need to go, go about it. That's the way that we need to think about it when we walk in 
to our job tomorrow morning. Third point, work to give to the Lord's work. That you and I work to give to the Lord's work. So here's what Paul says, Ephesians uh, 4, 28. He who steals must steal no longer. Here, this stealing is a problem, isn't it? Isn't it? According to Paul, it's a big problem. He who steals, bring our chargers back. Come on. He who steals, Juan just wants his beats back. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. So that, so here's why, here's why. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. That here's the, here's the way that you need to think about this. That when you think about your work and you think about your income, here's the way that God wants you to think about it. Remember, it's a paradigm shift. This is a different way, approach. He wants you to think about it in, this, in these terms. That your job, your income is, is meant to help others. Your job is to meant to help others. Jesus would say it this way. As a matter of fact, there's actually no written record of Jesus saying this in the Gospels, but it's found in Acts chapter 20. I don't have the verse for you, but it's found in Acts chapter 20 where they just knew what Jesus said. And here's what Jesus would say, even though it's not written anywhere in the Gospels in your Bible, but they just knew what Jesus expected. And here's what he would say, Jesus would say, it is better to give than to receive. It is better to give than to receive. He says, I want you to realize this. He says, when it comes to your work, when it comes to your income, he says, he wants you to think in terms of giving back to God's work and what God is doing. This is the way that he wants a new covenant believer to think. He wants you to think that there is a work that is, that is being done. There's a work of God that's, that's, that's going out and it's, and it's, and it's changing lives. It's changing lives. People's homes are being changed. Relationships are being changed. People's souls are being won so that, you know, so they can know what it means to have eternal life, to be forgiven of their sins. I mean, this is where our, our money should go. This is where our well-earned money should go, at least in these terms, or thinking of these terms first. He says, I want you to think not just about yourself and what you can keep and what you need to store up. He says, but I want you to think in terms of how you can share with someone else. Now, the reason why you got a pack of goldfish is because we are connoisseurs of goldfish in our home. We just eat this like by these size boxes. Anybody else a big, you know, big intake of, of, of goldfish? Absolutely. We are in our house. Listen, so the, the money that I, I get from work oftentimes goes into Petridge Farm, Petridge Farms, goldfish specifically. And it, I don't know if you know the history of Pepperidge Farms. You can go on their website and actually learn about the history of, of, of the company. But it, it started with a woman by the name of Margaret Rudkin. Margaret Rudkin, back in the 1940s, she baked a loaf of bread from, in her kitchen. And then 10 years later, she moved from her kitchen to her garage to a factory. And now you can buy these kind of things, Petridge Farm items, products, all over the world. Why did that happen? Why? Because somebody got their well-earned money and invested it or put it back into her company. And now her company is known all around the world. You know it. You have those, these items in your home. You've consumed these things you just did today. 
At least I know this section did. You guys were all over it. But this is the concept for, for us. And she said, you know, I just, I just want the whole world, Margaret Rudkid would say, she says, I just want the whole world to, to share in this quality product. I want everybody to have some of this. Listen, shouldn't that be the motivation for why what we get, what we earn, what we bring in, go back out, go back out to the work of God. I am so in debt. I'm so grateful for you, Juan and Michael and Kim and Chris and others. We are so grateful for your generosity. I wouldn't be able to buy goldfish crackers if it wasn't for you. It's true. Because your generosity gives me the ability to just be able to minister and to love people on a day-to-day basis. I don't have to work another job. Maybe some of you are surprised by that. That's probably the number one question that I get from people is, what other job do you do? That's what I get asked. I said, no, this is it. This is what I do. So like, you only work on Sundays. Yeah, I guess I do. That's all I do. It's a great job. I am so grateful, but listen, listen, we, we, me personally, I know the rest of the staff here, we, we want to do more. We want to move from kitchen to garage to factories to all around the world. We want to do that, and that can only happen when you and I have a mindset that what I get in, that some of that goes back into the work of the Lord, because he's my boss anyway. He's my master anyway. And so here's what Paul wrote. This, look at this, look at this. Ah, oh, this is so convicting. This is so convicting for me. He says, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. So, so I, you know, we were talking to the staff, and we, we want to have a Macedonian mindset. We want to have a Macedonian mindset. So here, here's what he says. Verse, just go, uh, verse, go to verse 2, if you could, and we'll get back to that one. Verse 2. That in great ordeal of affliction, so this is what's going on in Macedonia. There's great affliction. Their abundance of joy, but they still had joy. They still had joy, even though they were in affliction. And their deep poverty overflowed. So they're talking about, like, not only were they having external, you know, affliction, and, but they still had internal joy. And they were in this type of deep, what the Apostle Paul calls it, deep poverty. But that deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, in, in other words, here's what he's describing. He's not, ta- he's not describing how wealthy they were monetary, you know, with, with money. He was talking about how wealthy they were or how rich they were in their relationship with God. That even in their deep poverty and even in their affliction, they felt as if they were so rich in God. That even though their circumstances externally looked bad, internally they were overflowing with an abundance of joy. Do you see it? And it all happened from the grace that was given. It all happened as a result of the grace that was shown to them by Jesus. And then look what he, look what he says in verse 3. Verse 3. Verse 3. Verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability... And beyond their ability, 
So it wasn't just like according to the, what they had, their ability, but he says they even went beyond their ability. They gave of their own accord. Verse 4. Look what he says. Begging us with, with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. Now, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. Nobody's ever begged me to give. I've never had heard that. Like, none of you have like, can I just please give to this ministry? No, no, I've never heard that. It's supposed to be more funnier than it was. But <laughs> thank you, thank you. So he says, begging us with much urging from the favor for participation in the sport of the saints. He's verse five. And this, not as we had expected, and I wouldn't have expected it either. Like you're telling, you're asking, you're begging us to give and participate and to supporting, even in your deep poverty, you're, at, you're begging us to participate? Yeah, yeah. They, he says, I didn't expect it either, but they, they were just, wanted just to be a part of something that God was doing. But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. That was their mindset. Their mindset was, we are, my, our lives are, are the Lord's. Our lives, our resources, our stuff, our possessions, the money that we get in, that's God's. It's God's. And so if there's a need, I want to meet a need. If there's a need, I want to meet a need. And the way that you can meet a need and the way that we can move, you know, in this ministry to from kitchen to garage to factory to the world is by you realizing that your work is, is ultimately for giving to the Lord's work. Giving to the Lord's work. And this is new covenant giving, okay? New covenant giving says this. Number one, it needs to be Regularly give. You got to be a regular giver. And why? We need to participate with a percentage in mind. Okay? So this is not necessarily 10%. That's not, even, that's not even an old covenant concept. So let me just poke you for a little bit, for a second here. That's not even an old covenant concept. So it's not necessarily 10%. It, it, it may be 15%. It may be 20%. Or it may be 5%. But he says, I want you to, when you think about your regular giving to the work of God, because that's the way that, you know, Apostle Paul teaches us, and that's the way that we love and the way that Jesus loved us. We participate, we participate with a percentage in mind, and it's regular giving. Number two, it should be sacrificial. We sacrificially give. And, it's, and, and that, that idea is putting aside a purposed amount. Putting aside a purposed amount. That if you should feel it, you should feel it. It should be maybe, I don't know, a little bit more than, uh, you know, I gave 20 out of my pocket, you know, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go to lunch that day. It should be, you should feel it. It should be purposed, regular, set aside with an amount, and it should, you should feel it. You should feel it. But again, it's not about, it's about what, what they were able to do. It's not about a, per, a set amount, a percentage amount. It's about what they were able to do. And, and the third thing, what we learn about new covenant giving, is it needs to be cheerful, cheerfully. And so if you're sitting here going, oh my gosh, here we go. You know, this is what churches all they do. They all, they just want my money, you know. I work a hard job. I got, they just want my money. They're always asking for my money. Listen, if you're, I, if you're first time here, I rarely talk about this, and I'm uncomfortable now talking about it. But, and here's the deal, here's the deal, here's the deal. If you can't cheerfully give, then don't. It's okay. Don't. It's fine. Let's, because we want you to act. We want you to act out these concepts and what the concepts in, in Scripture teach. Because that's our authority. 
And so if you're sitting here all, you know, bothered by this and upset by this, listen, just ignore me. Just ignore me. Because this is a part of it. He says, I want you to be pumped about the point of money. I want you to be pumped about it. I want you to be excited about what you can do and how, how we can, you know, what God's kingdom can do and advance and go from. I mean, that's point. He says, that's the point of your money. The point of your money is a measuring stick, Jesus would say. It's a measure your faith. He says, so I want you to, I want you to think in those terms. I want you to think about that. That the work that you do, the job that you have, first you work for the Lord. Make sure it's well-pleasing. Do it in good faith. Knowing that your job, your work ethic can be an effective tool for the building of the kingdom of God. And to think in the terms of that your money, that what you get ought to be given back to the Lord. Ought to be given back to the Lord. In a way that God wants to do what in the church, what happened to this company that we all put our money into. And because we put our money into it, it's grown and it's built to be, you know, a corporation that the world knows. That's what God wants for all of us. That's what a New Testament Jesus follower does. Regular, sacrificial, and cheerful. Regular, sacrificial, cheerful. That's what God is looking for. That's what he's looking for. All right, let's pray. Father, we, um, it's our faithfulness that you look at. It's, not more, it's more than just a fair wage. It's more than where we work. It's more than what we do because it's whatever we do. And it's wherever we work that we understand that we work for you. And that will change the perspective and that will certainly change the dynamic for what we walk into tomorrow morning. I hope that it does. I hope that it does. I hope we walk in with to be well-pleasing, to be submissive, to be hardworking, to be honest, have integrity, because what we do here and now carries over into what we'll do in eternity. The faithfulness that we show here and now will carry over into what you assign for us to work when we get to heaven. So Father, just help us to always have that at the forefront of our minds, to be challenged by that. And to also understand that for here and now, that we get, you give us, you provide for us, you meet our needs. And as a, as a way of a heart of gratitude, we give back. Whatever that regular amount is, whatever that percentage is, whether it's 3% or 5% or 10% or 15%, that we just know that it's going into your work, your work to advance your kingdom. And God, we just want to do that with a cheerful heart, a joy, joyous heart, knowing that you were rich and you became poor so that we can become rich. It's the truth of the gospel that you died for us, that you loved us. And Lord, we are to love others in the same way that you loved us. 
God, be with each one here. I pray, Lord, that you give them that strength to walk into that job with this mindset tomorrow morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Have a great work week.